scripture this morning. We are still in Luke. It's in chapter 12, verse 32 through 40. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as he comes, as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those. But know this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. I was in conversation with someone this week, so if it was you, I do apologize. You'll hear this story again. I was in conversation with someone during this last week, and we were talking about waiting. Now, I think I've mentioned once or twice that waiting is really not my favorite thing to do. If I could somehow plan something so perfectly that I wouldn't have to wait even for a few moments, I would just be pleased as punch. I think it stems from the years that I would have to wait for one of my parents while they ran in really quick somewhere. I put that in quotes because I can guarantee it was never very quick. I'm convinced it was time used to escape their children. It is certainly not something that would be done these days, but I remember countless times being left in the car while mom or dad went into the store or visited someone in the nursing home or went into a doctor's appointment. The waiting was so boring. I wasn't allowed to get out of the car and I wasn't allowed to touch anything. I just had to sit there and wait, right? When we first read this passage, it seems like it could have been split up a little bit differently, with the first part going with last week's passage and the section of Jesus reminding us to remember the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, and then the second part about waiting, standing on its own. Read without any context or interpretation, it would seem that the two parts of this passage did not have much to do with each other, but they do because it continues Jesus' lesson of do not be afraid and have faith in God. Remember at this time in Luke's version of Jesus' ministry, he is on his way to Jerusalem. He has made his peace with the knowledge of what awaits him and what is going to happen to him there, and he has set his face toward that end. As he passed through towns and visited with people he had been teaching lessons on how to evangelize, on how to build their relationships with each other and with God. He was standing at this time in front of a large crowd of thousands and had just finished telling the parable of the rich fool. 
This passage is also set during a time when there was a great controversy within the Jewish communities. By this time, Jesus was really starting to make some enemies. He was preaching and teaching some radical things that were making the Pharisees very uncomfortable. The parallels of Jesus and some other pretty and others are pretty significant here. Jesus' message to this large crowd includes the importance of stewardship. Talking about stewardship really seems to upset a lot of people. It seems that the last straw for a lot of contemporary listeners, as well as some modern ones as well, I'll listen, and I might even agree, until they start talking about money or how I need to improve, and then I'm out. Words that speak out against both poverty and wealth and the separations between have gotten more than just Jesus in trouble. The Pharisees were never really fans of Jesus. They were never really happy that he was upsetting the status quo, but they always just sparred with him. But then he started in on their coin purse, and that was it. He had to go. Many prophets met the same end. A modern one, Martin Luther King Jr., was himself in a similar situation. He was not liked by a lot of folks, but kept preaching and kept teaching. But he was killed the morning after giving a speech in regard to labor unions and fair wages for the people of Memphis. The second half of this passage is calling our attention away from money and possessions and away from the anxiety that comes from those things. Jesus is directing us away from that and pointing us to the kingdom of God. And this is where we find ourselves preparing and waiting, waiting for the master to return from the wedding banquet. Imagine, if you will, that you are the servant waiting for the master to come home from being away. Is the estate in good order? Have the plants been watered? Have the beds been made? Have the animals been fed? What kind of state is the master going to find the place in when he comes back? When we think about being prepared, I start to think about making sure I'm ready to defend myself when God comes a-calling. Not to make excuses for the really idiotic things that I've done, and let me tell you, there have been plenty, but to prepare my soul and to be ready to be in conversation with my Creator. We dread the idea of an IRS audit, but what if God audits us, or rather, when, not if? The audit that God will have on our lives is not just about how we spend our cash, but how we spend our time, our love, our prayers, the pieces of ourselves that make us us, the parts that we share with others. How would you fare? Are we spending our time, energy, etc., in ways that love ourselves, each other, and God? Are we as aware and ready and as alert as we think we are? Are we ready for the master to return to the place he left in our care? 
We quickly fall into spirals of anxiety and worry, giving over to the influence of a society that is constantly telling us that we do not have enough and that there isn't enough to go around. This is a phenomenon in advertising that's been called psychological obsolescence. Think about the phone in your pocket and the car that you drive. Every couple of years, our iPhones and our Androids start to slow down a little. They don't load apps as fast, and the battery life starts to diminish. Eventually, new updates for certain apps won't even work with the phone. Thus, we are prompted to go out and buy a new one. Back in the first days of the light bulb, they realized it had been made too well. As a matter of fact, one of the original bulbs still works to this day, 108 years later. A group of board members got together and realized that if they were going to make a profit off of these light bulbs, they had to make them to inferior standards, thus prompting them to burn out, thus prompting the consumers to buy more. Alfred Sloan was an early CEO of General Motors, and he started the idea that one does not buy a new car because it is broken, but because it's old. No, you buy the new car because the one that the new one has come out with slight modifications on the stuff you already had on the old one. In an effort to outsell Ford and his Model T, Sloan would pass out flyers to his customers as they drove off the lot in their shiny new vehicles advertising the coming year's model. All around us, this is all around us, many of us suffer from FOMO, which is the fear of missing out. We compare ourselves to others in what we have, in the versions we have. Which iPhone do you guys have? What year is that car? Oh, which generation of the Echo did you buy? You know, the new one takes up less space and has a better speaker. It is all comparison that is never good enough. Christ is inviting us to step away from the idea of psychological obsolescence. He is inviting us to step off the roller coaster of anxiety that we often find ourselves on, stuck on when we worry about what we do not have. He is inviting us into a new way of being. Christ is showing us a way to peace and relationship, a way to realize that our treasure is not what we have here, but what we have in the kingdom of God. It is an invitation to start living in the kingdom right now, for the kingdom of God is here and not yet. How do we live in the kingdom of God now? We help fulfill the gospel of Jesus Christ. We care for the widow and the orphan through our love of God and our love of neighbor, through, our, through giving to our congregations so that they might be beacons in the lives of those who need to find their way to Jesus Christ. We check ourselves at the door and do what Christ has called each one of us to do as a fully functional body. So we set aside our worry and our anxiety. We set aside all of that and we prepare ourselves for the moment that we will finally 
be united with our Lord. When we will finally be able to sit together and listen and tell of our adventures, when we will finally be able to see what our love and faith in God and our love for our neighbors has meant to our Creator. We are waiting and we are preparing. Let us go forward rich in faith and calm in heart and make ready for the Master's return. Amen.